Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. I want to ask you to do two things for me this morning. Uh, we are going to look at Galatia, in, in the book of Galatians this morning. And so if you would turn over to the book of Galatians this morning and stick your finger in chapter 5 and then take a look at Acts chapter 4. Galatians 5 and Acts 4. And I'm committing a... Um, I'm committing a preaching not rightness this morning and doing two passages, uh, but I've done that for a couple of weeks, and so you came back, so I'll just keep doing it, I guess. So Galatians chapter 5 is where we are going to get to, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 4. A couple of weeks ago, we started talking about the unfulfilled God dreams that he has for Whitechapel. And I've spent um, significant time in sitting with the Lord and asking him, what are his unfulfilled God dreams that he has for this place? And what are the things that he is doing that he is inviting us to join him in his work? You see, one of the things that we know is we don't go out and create the work of God. Instead, what we do is we discover what God wants to do, and then we join him in that work. Amen? (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's not our work. It's whatever God is doing, and then we go to what he is doing. So we know that we don't go out and create or stir up a lot of, a lot of um, ministry. Instead, what we do is we go where God is at work. And so one way that we do that is by asking God, what are the dreams that you have for Whitechapel Church that are not yet fulfilled? And so then as we hear from the Lord, then we are able to discover the things that God desires to do in our midst. And you know the beauty of that? We said a couple of weeks ago, the beauty is the weight of the work of Whitechapel Church is not on us. Because we have heard from God Almighty, and then we're joining Him in that work. And so there are six specific things that I believe are unfulfilled God dreams for Whitechapel Church. We've talked about them for two weeks now. We're going to talk about them forever until we see these things come to pass. Because this is what God wants to do among us. And we have to be about, like Christ, our Father's business. And so the first of what we talked about last week was unity. And one of the things that we know that God wants us to do is to move from being a good team into a mighty army for him. And so the unity that he desires for us would be modeled here, and then it would then be modeled in our community all around us. The next is Warner Christian Academy. God has given us an amazing ministry in Warner Christian Academy, where for eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, we have the opportunity to instill a biblical worldview in the kids that are a part of this ministry. And about 50 years ago, maybe 51 now, 
The dream was birthed from God for this ministry in Warner Christian Academy. This next year we'll celebrate 50 years of this amazing ministry. The dream was that we would send out a thousand leaders with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ who their own lives have been changed and they now approach life with a biblical world view. What an amazing opportunity for us. It's not about the number because again, I'll say it every time we talk about it, the number 1,000 is not about tally marks. The number 1,000, when we look at prophecy, is about a number so large that we cannot count that in, in, the, in the human realm. Next, we believe an unfulfilled God dream is about breaking the chains of bondage and deliverance for this community. We're going to talk about this in, the, in, in a couple of weeks. The, the fourth is a center for meeting our community's needs. There are so many needs in this community. There are so many people that are broken and hurting in this community. And God desires for the, ministry of, the ministries of White Chapel Church to meet the needs in the way that we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it's exciting to see how we're doing that now, but I'm even more excited of what God's going to do as he leads us into the days and weeks and years ahead. The fifth is we know that we have to be a powerhouse of worship. This is what God desires for us. The sixth is we also have to be a powerhouse of prayer. I think there's a seventh, and that is a powerhouse of truth, that we stand upon the truth that we find in the Word of God, and we let it affect every single area of our life. So these are what I believe are the unfulfilled God dreams for us as a group of believers together. We're going to keep talking about them. We're going to keep going over them. And this morning, I want to continue in the vein that we came from last week in talking about unity. I thought, okay, I'm going to take a week for each one of these, and we're going to talk about these for the next six weeks. And God stirred in me, actually, while I was preaching last week, of something that we've got to go back and we've got to revisit because we've got to make sure that we get this right so that we can then move on to the others. Because it's no coincidence that God said, I want you to walk in unity first, and then he gave all of these others. We've got to talk about this so that we make sure that we are walking the path of unity. In Acts chapter 4, at the very, very end of that chapter, we see the early church. It's amazing to see what has happened to this early church. This early church, whenever Peter stood up and he preached, there were a few thousand people, about three, the scriptures tell us, that got saved. By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, we see there's about 5,000. We don't know if this is 5,000 more that were added or there were 5,000, but here's what's amazing. In just a very, very, very short time, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ was so power through the Holy Spirit that there are thousands of people coming to the Lord. Jesus Christ and surrendering their lives. If there was a message of unity in the early church, this was that. This was the message that I believe that God desires for us. Because last week when we looked at the, in the book of Ephesians where Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, one of the things that he says here is you need to keep the bond of unity. You need to keep the spirit that is within you, which is the Holy Spirit. So, here in Acts chapter 4, it's amazing to see what's actually happening here in a passage of Scripture that I think is sometimes uh, twisted around, but I want to look at verse 32. Here's what's amazing. Thousands of people are getting saved. People are getting arrested, being miraculously released from the authorities. And in verse 32, this is what Luke tells us. 
all the believers were, listen, one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. And then it tells about a few people that actually did that. This is a passage of Scripture that oftentimes is used to say you need to give everything that you have and bring it in and give it to the church. It can be misinterpreted in exactly what was going on here. But the key to this passage of Scripture is actually there at the very beginning when it said all the believers were one heart and one mind. And the way that they approached being together was from that perspective that's given in Acts 4 chapter 32. They had one mind and one heart. And because of this one mind and because of this one heart, there were thousands of people coming to relationship with Jesus Christ. The scripture even tells us that the Lord was adding to the number every single day. Now, it's some scholars that are, again, much smarter than I am, much, much more knowledgeable than I am, will tell you that they were just exclusively meeting in homes. Could you imagine getting 5,000 people together in a, few, in a few different homes? These believers were coming together at some point. Sure, they were having some services in their homes, and sure, they were meeting in those ways. They didn't have churches like this, and they couldn't go down to the Jewish temple and take over all of a sudden. What they were doing was coming together with one mind and one heart. You see, what they were doing is marching forward in unity in first listening to the Lord. In the same way that I said what we do as Whitechapel Church is we don't go out and create a lot of ministry. Instead, we sit with the Lord and say, God, what are your unfulfilled dreams for Whitechapel Church? And then we listen to him. And only after we hear directly from him, then do we respond in what he desires for us. And so, as I've said the past two weeks, I say again to you this morning, Whitechapel, we will only do the things that God desires for us to do as a congregation in order that he would be glorified. And so that as he is glorified, then he draws others directly to him because they see that we are moving forward with one heart and one mind seeking the one spirit that is at work inside of all of us. But if you take a look at verse 33, in verse 33 there are some big keys here that oftentimes in reading this passage of Scripture we skip over and we forget. In verse 33, Paul gives us some keys here, and he says a few things in verse 33. Let me read it, and then we'll talk about it. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and much grace was upon them all. Did you catch that? Did, did you catch what Luke is telling us that's going on here in the early church? There's two things that are huge here. Two significant things that if we just breeze through this verse, we've missed it. And oftentimes in reading this verse, we forget these two things here. Paul said there is great power and much 
grace. Great power and much grace. Isn't it interesting? To me it is. It's interesting to me that Luke says, here is the early church. They have one heart and one mind. And we think, oh, that's, that's difficult. That's tough. It's hard to do as a church. It's hard to do in your own blood families. It's hard to do because we're human beings. And we often operate out of a selfish desire. But Paul said they were in one mind and in one heart. And then he gives us the clues in verse 33. It's great power and much grace. As I sat with the Lord in verse 33 this week, I said, God, what is it in this power? And what is it about this grace that was so freely given in the early church that thousands of people were coming to know you? He reminded me, back in January, I preached a message. It was the 17th of January. I went back and I looked it up. That White Chapel is to be a place of grace. As I went back to that, I thought, oh my. You told me in January that we have to be a place of grace. And then when we get to April, you're telling me that, you have an, he, that he has an unfulfilled God dream for White Chapel Church of unity. And then, and then I discover that what he told me in January is linked to what he told me in April, that we have to be a place of grace. That's who we have to, that has to be in our spiritual DNA. That's what we were talking about back in January. That has to be who we are. That is who the early church was when they were of one mind and one heart and when they were operating in unity. They offered grace because they knew that there was no one perfect except for Jesus Christ. And this power that they were operating in fueled the grace that they so badly needed in spreading the good news of the gospel. The early church was full of power, and they were full of grace, and yet we get to the church some 2,000 years ago, and I say, where is our power, and where is our grace? I'll tell you, God is leading us back in an unfulfilled dream that he has for us, that we would be full of power and full of grace. And I believe the grace that he desires for us to pour out onto this community is the same grace that we desire for him to have for each one of us whenever we mess up. I believe the grace that God desires for this greater Daytona area is a grace that is an immediate grace whenever they walk outside of the bonds of Christ. That's what we want God to do, right? We want God to say to us, God, I messed up. Will you please forgive me? And we want it immediately. But yet when it comes for other people, we think, oh, well, hold on here. Let's, let's slow this grace down just a little bit so that we make sure that we can measure and we make sure that we are able to see the grace that has actually been received here. Listen to me. God has unmeasurable grace whenever we put him first. But whenever we want grace out of selfishness, it's no longer grace. It's a selfish desire that he is going to reveal. And here's the great thing about grace. Here's the amazing thing about grace. It's always there whenever it is a pure intention from our own heart. 
So it's not, God, I messed up, give me grace. God, I messed up, give me grace. It's, God, I messed up, give me grace, and I'm not going back to where I once messed up. And that's the great power of the Holy Spirit. It's great power, and it is also God's grace. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and much grace was upon them all. So you think, how is this possible? And what is this power? If you'll take a look at verse 8. Verse 8, just a couple of words here in Acts 4.8. says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. There's the power. There's the power. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And take a look at, at verse, verse 25. They're reminding God now. This is their prayer. They're praying. Peter and John have been to prison. They get out of prison, miraculously released from prison. And they're praying, and this is what they say to God. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant. Isn't that amazing? They're recognizing the great power that they had, which was the power of the Holy Spirit. And grace is always coupled with the Holy Spirit. Always coupled with the Holy Spirit. We can't miss that. And the way that we get to the unity that God desires for us is always fueled through the great power of the Holy Spirit and supercharged with much grace. So I want to ask you, this is where the Lord stirred in me last week. As we took a look at the Spirit that was moving the believers in Ephesians chapter 4, and He took me here to how the early church is seeing thousands of people saved. And they're moving forward with this great power and much grace, with a reliance of the Holy Spirit. This is what I feel that we have to catch. If there is any real, genuine ministry that comes out of a church, that will come out of Whitechapel Church, it cannot come from the natural realm. Instead, it must be the supernatural presence of God that makes it happen. Catch that statement and don't miss it. Because when we get in the natural realm, we're going to mess things up every time. I'll say this about me. I'm not going to say it about When I get in the natural realm, I mess things up every single time. But whenever I let the supernatural presence of God fuel me, the much power that they had in Acts chapter 4, then God will always be glorified. It's, it's back to what I was saying earlier. We don't go out and stir up a great ministry. We don't get our pot and start throwing some amazing programs and ministry in it and churning it up to see what we can cook up. We go to the supernatural presence of God and we sit with Him and say, God, what do you want to do through us united together here at Whitechapel Church? And it is always a spirit of unity. And in the spirit of unity, self always takes the back seat. Our own kingdoms start to crumble. Our own wants disappear. And then the supernatural presence of God takes over. Listen, we cannot conjure up unity. That's a good southern term, conjuring it up. 
And I want you to catch the word that I intentionally use there. Because what we do sometimes in the church is we want to fight and wrestle in order to come to a place of unity. It doesn't happen. It's the supernatural presence of God that always transforms us and captures us in unity. So, if there is any real, genuine ministry that comes out of a church, it cannot come from the natural realm. Instead, it must be the supernatural presence of God that makes it happen. So here's my question to you. Is there a difference in the person who has the Holy Spirit and the person who doesn't? Hey, we've got to know the answer to this question. We have to wrestle with this question. Is there a difference in the person who has the Holy Spirit and the person who does not have the Holy Spirit? Because if we're going to see God's unfulfilled dreams for this place become fulfilled dreams, and if we're going to move forward in unity, and we're going to be able to send out thousands and thousands of leaders from the ministry of Warner Christian Academy and Whitechapel Church, And if we are going to see the bondage of chains broken off of people and the prisoners of sin being set free, and if we are going to become a powerhouse of prayer, a powerhouse of worship, and a powerhouse of truth, and if we are going to be a center to meet the needs of this community, then we have to be a people that is filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit. There's no other option here. Because in the natural realm, we will always fail. But with the power of the presence of God, we will always, always, always see his unfulfilled dreams accomplished in the ministry where we join together and in each and every one of our lives. So, let's take a look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, let's take a look at verse 16. This is the command of Paul. Remember, it's the same, the same Paul that wrote to us last week that we have to keep the unity of the Spirit. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5, 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Isn't that an amazing verse? Simply live by the Spirit. If there was ever a verse to push us deeper into unity with God, that's the verse. We could just take those first four, verse, or first four words there. Live by the Spirit. I don't know if you are one to post notes on your mirror when you wake up and you go in the bathroom and you're looking in the mirror. Maybe there's a verse that's on your mirror. Maybe there's a a quote that's on your mirror. Maybe when you get to work and you're looking at a computer screen, I I tape uh, post-it notes and I tape uh, little little, um, phrases and different things on my my computer monitor. I don't don't know if you do any of that, but if, if I were you, and I'm not, so you can do however you want here, but if I were you, I would write these four words down. Live by the Spirit. Because in order for us to get where God's going, we're going to have to live by the Spirit. We're going to have to walk in the Spirit. 
We're going to have to let the Spirit guide us. We're going to have to have the Spirit give us knowledge. We're going to have to have the Spirit give us the fuel, the energy, and the resources in order to get where God's going, or where God wants us to go. Because God's unfulfilled dreams for us always is fueled by the power of the Spirit. It's never the natural realm that helps God out, as if God needs our help. It's always the Spirit that is fueling us. So let's pretend for just a moment that we are all going to stand a little bit south of here on that east coast of Florida, and we're going to look out over the ocean. And we are going to swim to a little island where the water is beautiful called the Bahamas. Now we're standing on the edge of Florida, and we're looking out, and all we see is water, but we know just beyond our sight are the Bahama Islands. And our job is to get to the Bahama Islands, but we have to swim to the Bahamas. Is there any of you that could, anybody here that could, could do that? Mm -mm. Not one. Now some of you may be able to swim a good distance out. Some of you may be amazing swimmers, and you could get out into international waters. You could swim that three miles out to the international water. Or maybe some of you are amazing swimmers, and you could make it even four or five miles out. But I'll promise you, there is not one of us in this room today that could swim all the way to the Bahama Islands and make it alive. Well, that's just what it's like for us in the flesh to be pursuing unfulfilled God dreams. We're never going to make it in the flesh. Some of us might make it three miles out. Some of us might make it five miles out. And some of us may be really good and make it six or seven miles out. But there will never be one of us that get to the finish line in the flesh chasing unfulfilled God dreams. The only way that we will see God's dreams for this place fulfilled is if we live out Galatians chapter, chapter 5, verse 16. Live by the Spirit. It's not optional for us. So is there a difference with someone that has been filled with God's Spirit and someone without God's Spirit? Paul says, yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are times that we have a responsibility to each other to say to, to each other, I love you, and this is going to be a grace moment because I don't think you're operating in the Spirit. And here's what's amazing. It's okay to say that. It's okay to say that. So that we, as brothers and sisters, together, united, chasing the unfulfilled God dreams that He has for us, are able to have much grace that we saw in the early church in Acts chapter 4. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's filled by the Spirit, fueled by the Holy Spirit, making sure that we are constantly moving in that direction. Because here's what happens. This is what I know about being filled with God's Holy Spirit. When you are filled with God's Holy Spirit, your focus completely changes. 
So I'm no longer focused on what I want, and I'm no longer focused on my needs, and I'm no longer focused on self. Instead, I am focused on the unfulfilled God dream that he has in my life and in this ministry together. And as long of us, as long as each one of us have the proper focus, we will always be fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we change our focus, we will always, always lose. And that's why they tell you don't text and drive. Because when your focus gets off of what you're doing, you will always crash. Now, you may get lucky every once in a while, and you may be able to succeed occasionally, and you may get by with it here and there, but there will always come a time that you're going to crash, and it's because you have the wrong focus. But if our focus is on the Spirit, and if our focus is, one, is, is upon what God is saying to us, we will always always get to where God wants us to go. So I want to ask you a question. And I want to ask this and just let you wrestle with it for a moment. To think about this question. Have you committed to God? Or are you surrendered to God? Are you committed to God? Or are you surrendered to God? There's a difference. There's a big, big difference. And I'll tell you, I believe what God is looking for is a group of people that's willing to surrender to him. To get past, to move past the commitment to a deeper place of surrendering. I think that, I'll come back, let me, let me say this. This is what committed is. According, according to the dictionary, this is what committed means. Feeling dedication and loyalty to a cause, an activity, or a job to be dedicated. So it says, it's basically a dedication. It is feeling dedicated and loyal. You can be dedicated and loyal to God, but not surrendered to God. So let me say this, you can be dedicated and loyal to your spouse, but yet not surrender to your spouse. This is part of what Paul was writing about. And we take the word surrender and we blow it way out of proportion and we think it's to just listen to whatever the other person wants. That's not what, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about us moving from a place of commitment to a place of surrendering to the relationship. And that's what Paul is writing about here in the book of Ephesians in our relationship with God in living life by the Spirit. And what God desires is a group of people that moves past the commitment to a place of surrender completely to Him. This is the definition of being surrendered. To yield to the power, control, or possession of another person. Do you catch the difference there to moving from dedication and loyalty to a place of yielding to the power, the control, or the possession of another? You see, what we've done in the church is we've raised generations that are committed to the Lord, but yet we have not taught about being surrendered to the Lord. 
And what God desires so his dreams can be fulfilled for us is a group of people that move past their commitment to a place of total surrender to him so that it is not us operating, but instead we are living by the Spirit and letting him call the shots and control the game. And so for too long in the church, we've come up with the great ideas. For too long in the church, we've said this is what we need to do in order to be a successful church. But I believe God is saying, why don't you sit down with me? Why don't you surrender to what I want and let me guide you on the path that he has prepared for us? We have built an amazing church. We have got an amazing team. But God is saying, I want you to be an army now, marching forward in unity, totally surrendered to that which he has for every single one of us. So are you surrendered or have you only committed to the Lord? Because when you surrender, you give up total control of all selfish wants and desires. And that's what God wants. He wants a surrendered people. And only a surrendered people will arrive at the place of unity that we need to become an army to see the unfulfilled God dreams that he has for us together actually become fulfilled. So what Paul says to us, if we go on and and we read here in in Galatians chapter 5, I'll I'll go through this quick, I promise. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. Dexter came a, couple, uh, a month or so ago, and he gave us a great example of how that played out in Paul's life and how it actually plays out in our lives. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And then listen to this. Listen to this, what Paul says to the believers. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So here's what Paul is saying. The Spirit is moving He said, since we're living by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul didn't say, just stop right where you're at. Paul is telling the church, the Spirit is moving. Our job is to keep in step with the Spirit. And when we decide that we're going to get a big old pot and fill it with some amazing ministries and stir it and see what we could conjure up, what we do is we stop moving. And Paul says, but since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, the way that we get to the unity that God desires for us in moving from a team to an army is to keep in step with the Spirit. And so Paul is saying, here is a picture of movement that we need as followers of Jesus Christ. 
Being in step with the Spirit means that you are not content with where you are at right now. And you are not content in the place that Whitechapel is right now. But instead, you desire in your personal life and in the life of the church to keep in step with the Spirit because we are moving with the Spirit. And where He goes, that's where we're going to go. And what He calls us to do, that's where we're going to go. And what He calls us to give up and walk away from, we're going to walk away from it because we are going to stay and step with the Spirit. And the way that we stay unified as a body of believers is to make sure that we are staying in step with the Spirit because we're not committed to this relationship. We've moved past that and we are totally surrendered to the things of God. So what happens is some of us get saved and we get stuck. There's no change and there's no movement. We come into relationship with Jesus Christ. We are dedicated. We are loyal to that which God has called us to. But yet we get stuck. There is no movement of keeping in step with the Spirit. And so how do we know that there are some who have been filled with His Spirit and some who have not been filled with His Spirit? It's from the people that are stuck. And they're not moving in their walk with God. And so if you are in the same place today that you were weeks or months ago in your walk with Christ, you're stuck. You're stuck. And God wants to pull you out of that rut and get you in step in moving with the Spirit. God is moving, and we've got to keep in step with Him. We can't stay where we were because who we were is not who He wants us to be. He is moving, and we have to stay in step with the Spirit. You can't, I read this this past week, and I, I kind of chuckled when I read it. It says you can't walk in the Spirit and do what you've always done. Because it didn't work. Because how God was moving yesterday might not be how God is moving today. And what God was accomplishing yesterday might not be what God wants to accomplish today. But what God does want to accomplish are the things that when we sit with him and we listen to him and he pours out his heart into our heart and he gives us that, oh yeah, that aha moment of his unfulfilled dreams for this church and in each one of our lives, then we join him in staying in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Another thing that I, that I think that we have to ask ourselves this question is how is, it, how is it that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit? If Paul says, live by the Spirit, and then he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, what we have to ask ourselves is how is it then that I can do these things? I have been committed dedicated, loyal to Jesus Christ, maybe for decades. For some period, I've, I've been there, and so I, I'm all in on that. But I've got to move past my place of commitment and get to a place of surrender to Him. And the way that I do that, I know, is to live in the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And so how is it that I go from this place of, of commitment to get to a place of total surrender so I'm staying in step with the with, with what God is actually doing. And I want to give you a few things as we end this morning of how you do it. First, it has to be a place of total surrender. Jot these down. It has to be a place of total surrender. 
You've got to get past the place of commitment to total surrender. That's what the believers were doing in Acts chapter 4 when we were reading about them. They said, God, I don't own my own possessions. I'm giving you my possessions. Use them however you desire to use my possessions. You see, they were totally surrendered. They were committed, but yet they moved past their commitment to a place of total surrender. Now listen, I'm not telling you to sell everything you own and bring it in here to the church. That's not what we want. We want it to be a place of total surrender so that in the moment that God is speaking to you, you hear him and are so surrendered that you respond to what it is that he's saying to you in the moment. The only way that you will get there is if you are living a life surrendered to him. So what I would do, I would wake up in the morning, I would look in the mirror or look on my, community, on, on, on my, on my commu, um, computer monitor and see the words, live by the Spirit. And I would then follow those words by saying, God, I'm surrendering today to you. The way that you live a life of surrender is one day at a time. Christy Lane did a fabulous job reminding us a few decades ago of this. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. One day at a time. So wake up every day and say, God, I'm surrendering today to you. This is your day. Everything that I have in my hands, it's yours. I give it to you. The life that I have, the air that I breathe, absolutely everything, I'm surrendering it to you. Use it for your glory and for your honor. And you know what? Here's what, here's what I promise you you're going to see that happens. The things that you gave up surrender to the Lord today, you'll have more the next day. And if you don't, that's okay. Because God's going God's to take care of it because you're surrendered to him. You're not living your own life. You're living the life walking in the spirit, living it by the spirit that he desires for us. The second is you have to get to a place of spending intimate time with Jesus Christ. You can't walk in the spirit unless you're spending intimate time with Jesus Christ. In the same way that you will not have a good marriage if you are not spending that time together, quality time together that you need as a husband and wife. When you're not spending intimate time with Jesus of just sitting in his presence, having a conversation with him, you're not going to be able to live a life of surrender, of walking by the Spirit. It just will not happen. And so what I encourage you to do is to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and just start recording your conversation with the Lord. If God doesn't speak, just sit, just sit there. That's fine. Don't move past it. Ask God a question and just stay there. And wait for a response. I have to do that with my kids sometimes. I'll ask something. I think they think that they spoke an answer, but they didn't speak an answer. And so I'll repeat the question again. And sometimes I say, do you hear me? <laughs> it's okay to say that to God. Because sometimes God wants to see if you're serious. And he wants to know if you are just going to go out from the questions you've been asking him and start living your own life as if you've, as if you've never even asked the questions. God wants to know, are you committed or are you surrendered? Because the committed people, he's just going to let you float to get to a place to where you have to surrender to him and you're willing to walk by the Spirit. Here's what you have to do. You have to have an intimate time with Jesus Christ frequently. I'm not going to tell you you've got to do it every day. I'm not going to tell you you have to do it every morning. I'm not going to tell you you have to do it every night. I'm not going to tell you you have to do it whatever. Whatever that means for you. You'll know if you're walking by the Spirit. You'll know if you start to get a little selfishness and grouchy. You'll know, and if you don't, the people around you will give you the clues. 
You have to have an intimate time with Jesus Christ. No questions. The next thing is you have to live out Acts 13.2. Amazing passage of scripture. And here's what they were doing. They were seeking the Lord in Acts chapter 13. And this is what they said. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And then look what happens. The Holy Spirit said. If we were in math and we were writing an equation, it would be A plus B equals C. So here's how we would fill in that equation. Worshiping plus fasting equals the Holy Spirit said. You know, this was their intimate time with the Lord. They moved past their commitment to a place of total surrender. They were worshiping and fasting. What is fasting? It's giving up of your sacrificing the self. They were spending time worshiping the Lord and they were sacrificing something and that's when the Holy Spirit said. You see, God was waiting to know if they were committed or they were just gonna send these people out. And they were committed. And then they moved from a place of commitment to surrender because they said, God, whatever you want, that's what we're gonna do. You have to surrender to the Lord. You have to spend an intimate amount of t- or a, a time of intimacy with Jesus Christ, and you have to begin worshiping and fasting the Lord. And how do we do that? It's this right here. You've seen it a multitude of times on that screen. You have to simply sit with the Lord at the bottom of this triangle. You have to stay here and not move until he directs you. You can't run to the top, which is your assignment, a life, a marriage, a job, your family, whatever, whatever that is at the top of this triangle. You don't run to the top of the triangle. You wait and sit at the bottom of the triangle with the Lord. You stay there. You press in. You're spending that intimate time with him. You're worshiping. You're fasting. You're waiting for direction. And then when he speaks, you move. The key to all of this is this time at the bottom of the triangle in listening to the Lord. The way that we get to unity, church, the way that we get to unity is to spend time listening. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week 